All right, I, uh, I want you guys to look at something, okay? So you can go ahead and put up a first, the first picture I have uh, up there. Okay, so this is my daughter, my second grade daughter. This is her handwriting, okay? I had her write some things on a whiteboard that says flex, staff. It was supposed to be development, but there wasn't enough space at that part. Uh, and then acts, okay? And so this is my second grader's handwriting. Pretty good handwriting, I think, for a second grader. And especially she's a COVID kid, so she missed a whole year of handwriting. It was just like tapping and interfacing like on Star Trek. And so, um, so that's the first picture. Let's go to the second picture. Okay, this is my handwriting, okay? Um, what I want to point out here is it's arguably worse, okay? It's arguably worse than my daughter's handwriting. Like, she's in second grade, I'm 33, and I, and I would say that maybe I could do smaller letters, but I'm not sure they're more legible letters, or I'm not really sure they're letters that represent the letter they're supposed to represent. And so my handwriting is horrible. I, I don't... I, my handwriting, it never advanced past second grade, okay? Hopefully for my daughter it does, but who knows? It's in, it might be in the genetics. I hope it gets better. It looks like it's already a little bit better. But my, my handwriting, it, it, it just has never advanced. I've, I've had 30 plus or 30 or so years of practice handwriting, and I'm at a standstill, okay? I just can't get better. My handwriting, I think at times, gets worse and so you can even look, you see the we wrote similar words and her words were probably more legible in a lot of ways. So why do I, why do I show you guys all this? Here's, here's why. The, the concept in John chapter 13 that we're going to be talking about today is a concept that is simple enough for kids to grasp and understand and even begin to live out, but it's also a concept that often adults just aren't good at. Or adults try to live it out, but they never get better than their second grade self at. And that concept that we're going to be talking about is this thing Jesus calls the new commandment. Jesus says there's this new commandment. And the new commandment is, is simply this. Love one another like I've loved you. That's the commandment that Jesus gives. Look what D.A. Carson says about Jesus' new command to love in John chapter 13. He says this. The new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate, profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. So that's where we're going to be today. We're going to look at this new command, and what we're going to realize about it is it's something toddlers can memorize, but adults can't always live out very well. And so here's what we're going to do. Three things today. We're going to just go through the end of ch uh, chapter 13 of John together. We're just going to go through it, understand it, kind of go through it quickly. And then the second part of the sermon, we're going to try and listen to truly and honestly Jesus' new command. Like we're going to try to listen to it. We're going to try to understand it. We're going to try to understand what he's calling us to. And then the third part of my sermon is I want to look at six anti-commands of love that we'd rather listen to. Six other commands that, that we often find ourselves listening to rather than Jesus' new command. And I think listening to those commands often impede us from listening to Jesus' command. So that's where we'll be. If you want, turn with me to John chapter 13. We're going to be in verse 31. So if you're not familiar with the Bible, it's, it's broken up into two uh, bigger parts, essentially, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And John is found near the beginning of the New Testament. 
So we're going to be in verse 31. I'm going to kind of just go through this passage. I'll stop at different points and explain different things, and then we'll, we'll pop into a few of those ideas I talked about. So verse 31 says this. When he had gone out, it's talking about Judas. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You'll seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Let's pause there for a little bit. So, Judas goes out into the night to begin this betrayal of Jesus where he's going to lead people to jump Jesus in the middle of the night. And Jesus, I think, again, we see this intimate picture of him pouring his heart out to his disciples. And the first thing that he says to them is, listen, I'm, I'm going to glory. He's, he's referencing the cross. He's saying, where, you, where I'm going, you can't come with. You can't go with me to the cross in this way. Like, I'm the only one that can go to the cross in this way. You can't go with me to the cross. Just like I said to the Jewish leaders, they can't come with me. Now there's going to be a point where you guys can't come with me. And what he said right before that was essentially, listen, where I'm going is where glory will be seen. Jesus is essentially saying his death on the cross will bring about all sorts of God's glory. It will glorify the Father. It will glorify Jesus. It will point people to who God is. The cross of Christ, more specifically, Jesus' death on the cross points the glory of God. Jesus' death on the cross points to the splendor of God. Jesus' death on the cross points to the majesty and power of God. Jesus' own splendor and power and majesty is pointed to when he's on the cross. Don't let anyone ever tell you the cross isn't something we shouldn't pay attention to. It absolutely is. Because it points to the glory of God, the splendor of God. And that could be the sermon by itself. And many have written even books on just that idea alone. But we're going to be talking more about the cross throughout the John series. And so I want us to keep going and look at this new command. Verse 34. A new command I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Okay, let's stop there. So this is where we hear this, this new command. Even though they can't go with Jesus to the cross, what Jesus says is, I do have something for you. I have a command. I have a command for you to live out. And that command is love each other the way I've loved you. That's the new command that Jesus gives. And just as Jesus is giving this command, Peter speaks up because he's stuck on something else, Jesus said. Look at 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll, I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times. So Peter, he's stuck on the first thing that Jesus was talking about. He's going like, where? I know you just said we can't go, but can I? Can I go with you? I'll go with you wherever you're going. I'll lay my life down for you. 
And it's funny because Jesus goes, listen, you are going to follow me, just not now. And, and Peter seems to be like, no, no, I, I'll do it. I'm going to lay my life down. And Jesus goes, you're not, you're not going to lay your life down for me. In fact, before the night's over, you're going to do the opposite of that three times. You're going to deny me three times. Peter's stuck on, on the first thing. But it seems like the thing Jesus really wanted Peter to get was this new command. He really wanted the 11 disciples that are left there to get this new command, this command to love one another like Jesus is loved. And so I want to reread verses 34 and 35 because we're going to spend time just listening to that and thinking, what is Jesus commanding to us? What is God saying to us? Okay, so 34 and 35, I'm going to reread it. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Something so simple a toddler can understand, but so difficult many of us adults don't do it well. So Jesus, what are you commanding us? The first thing that's interesting to me about this command is Jesus calls it new. Did you see that? He calls it a new command, where if you've read your Bible at all, it doesn't sound like a new command. It was, very, it was a very ancient idea for the people of God that they were called to love God and love each other, to love their neighbor as their self. Like, and Jesus comes along, and this isn't even a new command for what Jesus said. He basically goes, love God and love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. And essentially the answer to who's your neighbor is anybody you know. Anybody you come into contact with is your neighbor. So everybody's your neighbor. But Jesus even ups the ante and he goes, love your enemies too. And so here, hours before Jesus' death, he gives this command to love each other. It doesn't, it doesn't sound new. It sounds exactly like what Jesus had been saying time and time again to all sorts of people, including the disciples. But here's what's new about it. The standard of love is now Jesus' love. The way to love is now Jesus' love. So when Jesus calls it a new command, the command to love is not new, but the command to love the way that Jesus loved, that's what's new. Jesus was calling the disciples to love each other the way that he loved. These 11 guys had a better picture of that than probably anybody around. Right? They just saw, like an hour before that, Jesus washing their feet as a sign of his love for them. They saw time and time again Jesus honor enemies and betrayers. They saw Jesus look at people, see them in their pain, and move towards them. They watched Jesus help and restore people. They watched Jesus point to truth and shalom and things as it should be and what the kingdom was really like in order for people to know what reality is really like in a way that loved them. They watched Jesus lower himself like a servant in order to love them. So they had a perfect idea of what Jesus meant when he said, love each other the way I've loved you. And this is what Jesus was calling them into. 
This sort of love, a love that lowers oneself, a love that moves towards others, a love that cares for each other deeply and immensely. And what's in view here in particular, too, and and maybe this is partially why it's new, but I don't think that's quite what's new. Jesus seems to be emphasizing the idea that they're supposed to be loving each other. So what he's saying is, hey, the family of God needs to love the family of God. He's not saying over against loving the world and loving your enemies and all that. But for whatever reason, in these moments, hours before his death, he wants to emphasize the fact that the people of God are called to love each other. And when we love each other, it helps people to know that we're his disciples. That's what what Jesus is, is emphasizing here. And I can actually kind of relate to that, at least for me growing up, and why it was important for him to say it. So for me growing up, uh, it was just hard for me to love the, my family. It was hard for me to love my mom, my dad, my siblings. I, it was just hard for me. But if I went outside my home and I was with friends or teachers or whatever, it was easy for me to love them, although I think some teachers would disagree with that. But it was easy for me to love people outside my own house. For whatever reason, sometimes it's just harder to love your own family. There's a broken sinfulness in us when that's true. And so I can see why Jesus is saying, like, listen, this might... This might get difficult. It might be easy to love out in the world. It might be easy in one sense to love your enemies, but to love each other is really important. You guys have to love each other. Jesus is calling us to love like he loved. That's the new command. We are called to love each other the same way that Jesus loved us and loved them. So what does it even mean to love? I actually want to put up a, uh, a quote. It's from Paul David Tripp. And I think he, he helps give us like a biblical definition of love. He's basically trying to summarize what does the Bible teach on love and how could you define love based on what the Bible says about love. And he says this. He says, love is the willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not demand repayment or that the person is deserving. I'm going to read it again. Love is the willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not demand repayment or that the person is deserving. Jesus is calling us to love each other like this. We are called to love each other like this. Some of us struggle with loving anyone but ourselves, but Jesus says the disciple definer is this, is this sort of love for one another the willing sacrifice for one another, for the good of one another, without expecting a repayment, and even loving those that don't deserve your love. That's what Jesus has for us. That's the love that we're called to as the church. Friends, how many of us mark the maturity of our faith by love? Like how many of us, think about that for a second, how many of us mark the maturity of our faith, of our walk with God, by how well we love? Time and time again, you can go throughout the New Testament and see how important love is to the life of a believer and how central it is and how it should mark the maturity of God's people. But I'm afraid we often don't mark our maturity our maturity by love. I think what we usually mark our maturity by is like how many religious events we can attend and how many Bible verses we can memorize. 
Listen, those are both really important things, I think. I think going to church is important. Being with the people of God is important. Knowing the Bible, memorizing the Bible is important. But here's the problem. The Pharisees did that better than any of us could, but they didn't have love. And Jesus wants us to have love. The disciple definer is love, not memorized Bible verses. Hear me, as not, I'm not trying to bash reading the Bible. I love reading the Bible. It's important. But for many of us, how many Bible verses we memorize have, has become the marker for how mature we are in Christ. If we know all of the verses in the Bible but have not love, it's, it's pointless. I really think Jesus thinks that. Like maybe it's good in some sense, but I think we'll get to judgment day and he'll kind of be like, where was the love? Where was the new command? Where was all the other commands about love that I gave? We as Christians are called to love. I'll be honest, as a pastor, I don't want, I don't want a loveless Christianity in these doors. I don't want a loveless Christianity. Like, if all of you have the Bible memorized, and let's say we're even doing miracles, I don't want it if it doesn't have love with it. I don't want it. And guess what? Jesus doesn't want that either. He wants a faith full of love and loving one another. The willing self-sacrifice for the good of another without expecting repayment and, do, and even loving those that don't deserve it. That's what Jesus is calling us into. He wants to invite us into a new way of life, full of love. The new commandment is that we love each other the way that Jesus is loved. That's the call. That should be a core part of our identity, church. The question is, will we take it seriously? Will we listen to that command? Will we live it out? I'm not sure. One, because I think it's a difficult command. But the other reason is I, I think there's just other commands we'd rather listen to. You're all in your seats going, no, not me. No, 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 no. Let's be honest with ourselves. There are other commands we'd rather listen to than Jesus' command to love us. And so I want to talk about six anti-love commands. We almost treat these like these are things Jesus actually said, and so we're just living those ones out instead of this one. But they're not things Jesus said. They're things that we believe because culture tells us to, or our own sinful hearts tell us to, or our friends tell us to, or the enemy convinces us to, whatever it might be. There are these six commands I want to talk about that I, I want to call the anti-love commands. And these commands in particular, I think, have a bent towards uh, commands that stop us from loving each other here in this room. They certainly stop us from loving people outside of these doors, but these commands in particular stop us from loving each other. And so I want to go through these six, okay? I'm preaching today, all right? And so we're going to go through these six anti-love commands. And my hope, listen, my hope is not to heap up guilt and shame and anxiety and all that stuff. I don't want to do that. I just want to point things out about ourselves so we can see them and so then we can listen to Jesus' new command to love. Because the reality is, if we don't recognize the way that we are not living out his command and that we're actually serving all sorts of other commands, 
instead of Jesus' command. I don't know if we can ever fully turn from that stuff and turn to Jesus' command. And so my hope is there's a self-examination without guilt and shame and all that kind of stuff that leads us more deeply into Jesus' new command to love. Does that make sense? One other thing. Thank you. One other thing. (laughs) One other thing. Help me not to preach to the choir, okay? You know the term, and it means like when you say something and everybody agrees with you, right? Like, help me not to preach to the choir. Here's what I mean is I think that I'm going to say some of these anti-commands to love, and a whole bunch of us are going to be really stoked at some of them. And we're going to be really stoked at some of them because we're going to be like, yes, my friend really needs to hear that one. Yes, that person I'm married to needs to hear that one. Oh, man, is my kid in here? They need to like, like we're going like, to, we're going to be so stoked on some of these because we're going to know people that listen to that command. And that's not how I want you to listen to me. If that's how you listen to me, I'm just a talking head up here and I don't want to be a talking head because I'm not good at talking. <laughs> but what I want is for us to listen to these commands and kind of go, Am I listening to that anti-love command more than Jesus' command? Is that anti-love command something that's more appealing to me than Jesus' new command to love? And I want us to examine our hearts and examine us. So don't let me preach to the choir. Don't think about these commands for someone else. We're going to slip into that, but... Really take these commands and go, how am I not loving? How am I listening to these other commands that aren't Jesus' commands, okay? So let's hop into it. Six six anti-love commands. The first command is this. It's almost like we think Jesus said this. It's like we think he commanded fight over truth. It's almost like we think Jesus said, fight over truth. Now, listen, I'm not saying we can't discuss the truth. I think we can. I'm not saying we can't wrestle over the truth. I think we should. I'm not saying we can't bring up our doubts. We definitely need to bring up our doubts because I got a lot of doubts. And I'm not even saying we can't disagree with one another. We definitely can disagree with one another. What I'm saying is a whole lot of us in the room would rather listen to the command, fight over truth, more than listening to Jesus' command to love one another. The way that we talk to each other at times, church, looks like fighting. Have you ever been in a group situation where uh, a husband and wife just start fighting in front of you? It's the worst, right? Like, oh my, please, marriage counseling. Like, you're just like, like, get it together, Bill. Like, just come on. It's so awkward. Friends, at least in America, that's what the world is doing with us. We are the awkward spouses fighting. We're listening to this command, fight over truth. Like We act like Jesus said, fight over truth. And we're like, okay, I'll do it. I'm really good at that. And so we're constantly fighting over truth. Jesus didn't call you to that fight. You don't have to fight that fight. Jesus called you to a different fight, a fight to love one another as he loved. That's what he's called us to. So is this you? Do you listen to the command, fight over truth? If so, repent and begin to love instead. 
Okay, second command. Second command we'd rather listen to. Uh, it's almost like we think Jesus said this. It's almost like we think Jesus said, divide over perspective. Divide over perspective. Maybe, I, again, maybe I'm six months late preaching this one, but it will get us on the next time we want to divide over perspective. But it's almost like we want to listen to this command, divide over perspective. Like, here's what's happened, is there's all sorts of people in this room that have all sorts of perspectives, and every few months we figure out a way to villainize people that have a different perspective than us. Villainize them. Vilify them. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, who you're going to be spending eternity with. In fact, I bet the people that you villainize most on this earth who are your brothers and sisters in Christ, God's going to make you live next door to in the resurrection. Like, I just am pretty sure. We just vilify people, and it's not even over good stuff. It's just like, well, I see the world this way. Well, then you must be Satan. Like that, we like get to that level. Well, I I view things this way. I'm not sure. Well, you don't believe the gospel anymore. Wait, what? Now, is that the case sometimes? Probably. I bet most of the time it's not. We want to listen to this anti-left command, divide over perspective. Why do we do it? It makes sense to us, right? It just does. When someone has a different perspective than you, and maybe their perspective kind of puts some of your perspectives like to shame or something like that. It's just easier to kind of be like, well, I got to vilify them. It just makes more sense to. But that's not what Jesus has for us. Jesus has love for us. We're called to love one another like he loved, not divide over perspective. So is this you? Do you listen to the command to divide over perspective? If so, repent and begin to love instead. Okay, third command. Third command that we'd rather listen to. It's almost like we think Jesus said, fight against the culture. Fight against the culture. This one, it's particularly sad to me because the way we love should actually draw in the culture. That's what, that's what Jesus said, like, like that people will see you from outside the body, essentially, and they'll know that, that you're the Jesus people. So the, the way we're supposed to love is to draw in the culture. But instead, we convince ourselves that the main fight that we need to be in is to fight against the culture, like that that is what's most important for us as Christians. It, it, it's, it's gotten so crazy to me that even... A lot of times, this is what happens. Let's just say it's our church, but any church will begin to fight against the culture in a way, and they'll go a little bit too far. It will become some sort of a cultural crusade, if you will. And then almost always, there's one person in that little local church that gets up and says, hey, I think we've maybe taken this too far. We've gone past the point of like idol identification and not being in the world or not being of the world, but in the world. Like we've gone past that point and we're just fighting against the culture at this point. And someone will rise up and kind of say, I think we're called to love and love one another and do these things. And almost always, I've watched it happen so many times, almost always that person gets labeled too compassionate. They're too compassionate. They don't get it. Their love is blinding them. Or they get labeled some politically derogatory term for your camp. Or they get labeled deceived. Oh, they're just deceived. That's wild. 
Like, that's wild. When someone stands up and repeats what Jesus said to us in a similar way to the way he said it, and we label them as deceived, that's not okay. Now, certainly, you're probably right now just thinking, well, I know an instance where that person definitely was deceived and it wasn't true love and it was just kind of like this soft thing that isn't real. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the truly prophetic people in our midst who are going, I, I, we've missed this. We're not loving anymore. And we go, no, I, I'd rather listen to this command to fight against the culture because we act as if Jesus said that. He never said it. God, have mercy on us. <laughs> is this you? Do you listen to, to the command, fight against the culture more than Jesus' new command? If so, repent and begin to love instead. Okay, fourth command. This command is this. It's almost like we think Jesus said, choose comfort over love. It's almost like we think Jesus said, choose comfort over love. This command, it's loud and it's subversive. And here's why it's loud and subversive. Comfort is just so good. <laughs> like, it just is, right? Like, I don't know when I discovered comfort, but I love it, okay? It's one of my favorite things on the earth, right? Like, I just, I love getting more comfortable. I think I'm just in a constant state of trying to become more comfortable. Like, that's, that's just the reality. And it's just loud. And we live in a culture that says, yeah, that's right, you should do that. Let me show you another way to get more comfortable. And, and, our, and our society keeps figuring out more ways to get more comfortable. Like, they're right every time. Like, this is more comfortable. It's loud and it's subversive that we need to be, get comfortable, that we need to choose comfort over love. Even, like, if, I, if you came to me and said, hey, describe, like, let's give sin a feeling. What's the feeling that sin has? I'd be, like, uncomfortable among other things, but I'd be like, uncomfortable. So it's just so much easier to choose comfort because it feels right. It feels correct. This command to choose comfort over love, it's loud, it's subversive, it's easy to get swept away in it, even without thinking you're getting swept away in it. But that's not what Jesus has for us. The problem with choosing comfort over love is the sort of love Jesus invites us into is often very uncomfortable. The sort of love that Jesus is going to walk us into is sometimes emotionally uncomfortable. But sometimes it's even physically uncomfortable. The love that Jesus is going to walk us into is uncomfortable. And so if we listen to this command to choose comfort over love, it's going to be hard for us to follow Jesus' new command to love. So is this you? Do you listen to the command to choose comfort over love? If so, repent and begin to love. All right, fifth command. Fifth command I think we listen to. It's almost like we thought Jesus said, pick righteousness apart from love. Pick righteousness apart from love. It's almost like we think that's what Jesus said. And some of you are freaking out right now because you're going, righteousness is a good thing. And I say, yes and amen. But a whole lot of us pick a righteousness apart from love. 
Like it's more important to us that we follow the rules and we do these things correctly and importantly. And love is kind of on the back burner. That's for the compassionate people, not for the Jesus people. And so we pick this sort of, we really create this sort of loveless, dogmatic Christianity that's not the one that Jesus created. The righteousness Jesus calls us to is in response to what he's done, and so that is an act of love. The righteousness that we're called to is rooted in love. The righteousness that we're called to is rooted in a community of love that's pushing us and spurring us on to what's best for us and what God has for us. But a whole lot of us pick a righteousness apart from love. And so we walk around our churches just kind of going, this person did this today, they're dead to me. I'm not going to talk to them about it, but I will talk to other people about it. And we, and we make the new mark for Christianity how righteous they are without love. That's not what Jesus has for us. The new command Jesus has is that now be righteous big time. His new command is to love one another. And we are called to being righteous. Listen, we are called. It's just rooted in love. Do you pick a righteousness apart from love? Do you listen to that command? If so... Repent and begin to love instead. Okay, final command. The final command is this. It's almost like we think Jesus said, choose yourself over others. It's almost like we think Jesus said, choose yourself over others. How easy it is to listen to this command is why Jesus' command to love one another is so tough. It's so easy to listen to the idea to choose myself over others. Because Jesus' command to love one another, it gets messy. It gets painful. Because what if I love someone and, and I have to make a sacrifice that hurts me? What if I love someone and it takes away from me choosing myself? Listen, I can't sugarcoat it for you. This is the sort of love Jesus is calling you into. He's calling us into a love that's, that's far deeper and bigger than what we want it to be. We want a love where we can always choose, choose ourselves and the other person. That's just not the case with love. Sometimes we have to choose others and count them as more important and valuable than ourselves in order to love someone well. Now listen, I'm not saying you have to hurt yourself purposely in order to love someone or allow yourself to be hurt purposely. And I'm not even saying, you know, sometimes this gets twisted and people say, well, this person is an oppressor in my life and they're hurting me and abusing me in all these different kinds of ways and I need to just let them keep doing that. I'm not saying we have to do that either. It's actually more loving to the oppressor and bully to call out their sin and stop them from living in sin, sinning against you. It is. But what I am saying is, the sort of love Jesus invites us into, it's just tough. It's just full of not choosing myself. And maybe when I say choosing myself, maybe I'm, I'm a little bit worse than the rest of you. I've got a lot of selfishness in here. And if I cho- chose myself every time, instead of Jesus' call to love, I'd rarely ever love anybody. And I wouldn't even look like that bad of a person. I might even look like a virtuous person. But it's almost like we want to listen to this command to choose ourselves over 
others, to love them. Every time we, we do this, every time we choose ourselves, this is, this is where we see love begin to break down. We begin to see that we don't live out love well. So every time this happens, every time we listen to that command, those are the times when we refuse to befriend the outcast. When we refuse to be friends with the person that's really strange or annoying. Every time we listen to that command to choose ourselves are those times when we just we have to be right in the argument. It doesn't matter about the relationship, we just have to be right in the argument. Every time we choose ourselves, these are the times when we keep money to ourselves rather than be generous with our money. Every time we listen to this command to choose ourselves are the times when, are, when we choose a life by ourselves rather than a life in community. It's easier to listen to the command to choose ourselves over others. It's easier. So my question to you is, are you listening to that command? If so, repent and begin to love instead. Which commands are we listening to, church? Which commands are we listening to? Again, I, I went through all of that. I don't want to heap up shame. I don't want to heap up guilt, but I, I do want to heap up, heap up conviction. Conviction is a good thing to have. It's good for us to be convicted by the ways we've chosen sin and chosen to worship other things than Jesus. Like, that's a good thing because that's part of the process it takes to turn to Jesus. And so I hope as we're going through that, as we're going through the commands, you're not just like, well, Anthony's angry today. I'm not angry. I just so badly desire that we love. I just so badly desire that we love, and so often we fall short, and I think it's because we'd rather listen to these other commands. So church, which commands are you listening to? The, these other commands or Jesus' commands? Jesus is calling us into a new command, to love one another like he's loved. And I've said this a few times, I think, over the last few months. The only way we can do this is if we're rooted in Jesus' love, right? Like, even if I ju you just went away from here being like, well, I got to will myself to love like Jesus loved, like, you're not going to do it. Like, I'm not going to do it. None of us can do that. The only way we can love like Jesus loved is if we look at how Jesus loves, if we understand that Jesus loves us, if we root ourselves in the idea that Jesus loves us, we have a fighting chance to live out this new command if we root ourselves in the fact that Jesus loves us in all these ways. So we have to root ourselves and we have to realize like Jesus has washed our feet. Jesus has moved towards us. Jesus has honored us. Jesus has shown love towards us. Jesus has cared for us. We have to root ourselves in that if we're going to live this command out well. We have to realize that the gospel is a story of Jesus' love. If we realize the gospel is, is a story of God's love for us, then we might have a chance to live out this new command. When we realize that the gospel is a story of God sending his son to be with us, to get to know us, to love us, then we might be able to love like this. When we realize that the gospel tells a story of the Son of God going to the cross, pouring out his love through his blood on the cross so our sins could be atoned for, taken care of, 
wiped off the ledger. Because Jesus loves us and wants to be with us, then we might be able to live out this new command. If we see that the resurrection is not just a cool, fun prize at the end of history, but it's actually a picture of the fact that God wants to live with you. Like God wants to live with you forever, and that's what, the picture, that's what the resurrection points us to. That's how much God loves us. If we root ourselves in the gospel love and in the many actions of Jesus' love, we might have a chance to live out this new command. But if we're just trying to go out there and will ourselves to love, we're going to fail time and time again. We are called to this new command, church. But let us be called not out of our own strength, strength but out of the strength we get from Jesus' love of us. May we be a people that listens to this new command. May we reject the commands we listen to that we shouldn't. May we be a church that loves one another just as he's loved us. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for you. Thank you for this new command. Thank you for your love. God, I so badly want to be a church that listens to you. I think we are, God. I really think we've got, you've brought a bunch of people in here who want to listen to you. But God, I know in myself there's all sorts of ways I think I'm listening to you and I'm actually not listening to you and I'm listening to something else or some other command. And God, I, I, could you just root that out of me? Could you root that out of us? And we want to live this command out. God, give us eyes to see your love for us. We talk about your love all the time, but God, I even remember for myself, there was a time I heard about your love all, always, but I, I hadn't known it really. I hadn't really experienced it really, God. And I don't know how you do that in the mystery of your love for each and every person in here, but God, would you just more deeply reveal your love for each person in here so that they can take up their calling to love one another like you love them. God, help us with that. We want to be this sort of church, not just for the sake of being this sort of church, but because that's what you have for us. And that's a better way of life. So God, help us. Help us to be this sort of church. Help us to listen to this new command to love one another as you've loved us. God, we love you and we need you. Amen.